All righty. You all ready to get rolling? <laughs> oh, I love I love to hear the chatter though. That means that means everybody's having a good time. Everybody's meeting and greeting everybody. But if you don't want to be here till about three thirty, I ought to get started. <clears throat> you know, for the past four months, we've been doing the Jesus story. Can you believe it was mid December? When we started with John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And we saw about his birth. And then the next week, just so happened, Christmas fell on Sunday. So we saw the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in that, we saw how the shepherds came. And they found the babe lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes it says and we said now when you look at what the original word says it says that those were death rags we're going to see today that it's the same things that Jesus is wrapped with by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea strips of cloth wrapped around the babe because when he was born it was the symbol of his mission His death upon the cross as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So we committed to telling the Jesus story from His birth to Easter Sunday on His death. And we've done just that. We've been covering a lot of things that He taught and that He did throughout His lifetime. This is going to be today a tough lesson. I hope I make it through it. Because when you wrestle all week with the death of Jesus for my sins, I'm not in a very good mood. I'll just put it that way because when I realized that what I did caused him to have to hang there, and I've been reminded of it all week long, I'm not very happy with myself. So this is going to be a tough lesson today. And we're going to uncover a few facts too as we go. Next week is Resurrection Sunday. Most folks call it Easter Sunday. I I call it Resurrection Sunday. Because Easter is not in the Bible. But if you've got a King James Version, you may say, Oh yeah, it is. It's right there in Acts chapter 12, verse 4. But that word that was translated Easter there is the Hebrew-Aramaic word, Pascha. They even put the Hebrew-Aramaic word in the Greek New Testament to show you that it was the Passover. It was the Passover that was going on and not Easter when Peter was in prison. Easter is named after a pagan festival. Ishtar, the goddess It was named after her, and the celebration was Eoster because she was the goddess of fertility, and supposedly she had went to the underworld to be with her husband, Tammuz, and during that time, crops failed. Animals didn't give birth, and so she comes back every spring as 
life for the fertility of the land and the animals. And eggs and bunnies are symbols of fertility as well. And those have been drug in to this. And so as we move on, I like to think of it as the Passover or the resurrection weekend that's coming up. We are here as the body of Christ to learn the truth. I made a commitment to my father whenever I was going to teach that it would be in the truth in love. And so that's what I do because I want for us, the body of Christ, I don't, I don't tell a whole lot of stories. I, I'm not a very interesting person. <laughs> I don't have good stories. But what I want to do is give you the truth from the Word of God So that as you go about your daily walk of life and the powers of darkness tries to hinder you from moving on, you've got Bible doctrine in your knowledge and in your brain that you can quench, as it says in Ephesians chapter 6, all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. So I'm going to give you the truth as we go through this. Today we're going to expose another truth as we move on. Jesus is the Lamb of God, and He came this last week approaching the cross as a lamb that was silent before His shearers. He went to the cross without a fuss and without a battle. But I'm going to tell you what, that was His first appearance. In His second appearance, He's going to come back as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And he is going to take revenge upon all of those who did not believe in him and who put him on that cross and who has rejected him throughout the ages ever since. So he came as a lamb, but he's going to come back as the lion. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he came as the lamb to die and pay the penalty for my sins upon that cross that we're going to study about today. This coming week, is the most important week in the history of mankind that ever happened. And we're going to take a look at that today. At times we have to uncover some things as we do. But I make it a point to search the scriptures for what Pilate asked Jesus. You remember during that trial, Pilate said, What is truth? Jesus says, John chapter 14, I am. What was it he said in the desert in Midian when there was a burning bush? He said, who will I tell them that sent me back to Egypt? He said, you tell them, I am that which I am, which means the eternal one. And he said, I am in John chapter 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. And then he said, whenever I am going to go, I'm going to leave you another comforter. And when he, the spirit of what? Truth is come. He will guide you unto all truth. Every week I pray to be guided by that spirit of truth to lead me on what I am going to speak to you each week. Today, as we said, as we bow now for a word of prayer, as we get ready to begin this lesson, 
I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit guide us through this truth and that He allows our ears and understanding to hear what it is so that we can apply it to our life this week of the greatest event in human history, the cross of our Messiah. Let's pray. Fathers, as we attempt to just scratch the surface of the knowledge of the cross, pray, Father, that you will open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our minds to understand what you have written and what you would like for us to know. Father, may your Holy Spirit be here with us today and may he fill this room and may he fill all of the individuals here so that we may understand these things that you would have for us. We thank you for Jesus and the cross, Father, and may we be challenged by the things that we're about to study in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, another slight error in tradition that we're going to uncover because this week being the most important week that ever took place you're going to hear a lot of talk about something. You're going to hear a lot of talk about Good Friday. You know, folks think, a lot of folks think, that Jesus died on Friday. I'm going to contend that he died Wednesday afternoon. And I'm going to try to show you today through the scriptures why that is the truth. Now, as I begin to do this, I also want to say that in the grand scheme of things, It don't matter. It don't matter. Because our salvation is not based upon this. You have the right to claim a certain day and worship God in the way you want. It says in Romans chapter 14 and verse 5 that some folks claim a day as special and holy unto God and other folks claim, Hi, Oak. How you doing, honey? And some folks do not. So you have the right individually to claim a certain day or not because everyone worships God according to what their conscience is. It says each of you should be fully convinced in your own mind as you do this. I just want to share with you what the Bible says about this. So we're after truth and in order to establish that basis of truth we're going to only use the word of God. And the way to do that is to start from the resurrection day and go backwards in time to prove of when that happened. So, the day of the established resurrection of Jesus Christ is on a Sunday. If we could go to the next slide, T. The first day of the week. This is given to us in three different places of when the resurrection was. We have Matthew 28, 1. We have Luke 24, 1. And we have John chapter 20 and verse 1 that tells us upon the first day of the week it was that Jesus was resurrected. You know what? We as the church gather upon what? The first day of the week. Because the first day of the week is Sunday. Saturday is the seventh day of the week. It is the Sabbath day. And we gather not only on the first day of the week because that was the resurrection day of Jesus, but also it's the command of God, it seems, by inference from the scriptures of when the church gathered together in the first century. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, which we will be studying in a couple of weeks on Wednesday, hint, hint, for those of you who would like to come out. 
it says there, now about the collection of the Lord's people. Do you what I told the churches of Galatia? On the first day of every week, let each one of you lay by and store a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections have to be made special when I get there. On the first day of the week. And I've told the church at Galatia this as well. It also says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, that on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread, and Paul preached unto the people a message. So, on the first day of the week, we come together as the body of Christ to do these things, to hear a lesson taught, to break bread or to have the communion of our Lord Jesus Christ, to take in funds so that the place continues to operate. We do that because the Word of God infers it and because the first day of the week is Sunday. And that's the day of the week that our Lord arose. So now... As we begin to search for the crucifixion, we go back then from Sunday. And we notice that it was in Matthew 28, Luke 24, and John 20 that it said that he arose upon that first day of the week. Particularly, I like John's version because John says that it was very early before daylight that Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and it was already empty. So if the tomb was already empty before daylight, while it was still dark, then you can't count Sunday day as a day that he was in the grave, right? So if it was already empty, I want to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 12 as we begin this this little uncovering of things to learn all truth. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. And whenever you get there, Down about verse 38, it says that those ever-present Pharisees were there and they were harassing Jesus. And one of them, a teacher of the law, comes up and he says to him, Teacher, we would look from you a sign. They're always wanting a sign. What has he been doing ever since Cana of Galilee? He's been giving them signs and they continually say, We want a sign again. And all it did every time he did a sign was foster more hatred because they didn't like seeing a sign. They didn't like it that he was really who he was. And it fostered more hatred. So he said in verse 38, we want a sign from you. Jesus answered and said to them, a wicked and an adulterous generation are you that seeks for a sign. But no sign shall be given unto you except what? The sign of Jonah. The sign of the prophet Jonah, verse 40, chapter 12. Mark this one down as you talk to people about the resurrection week and the crucifixion week. Verse 40 says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, if Jesus was resurrected before daylight, Sunday, go back three days then, starting with Saturday. Saturday is a day, Friday is a day, Thursday is a day. 
So we're going to show that he was crucified on Wednesday afternoon. And we're going to see a little bit about God's timeline as well. Even with new math that they teach the kids in school today, you can't get Friday out of three days from Saturday. No, they can't do it. So, as we do it, and I like everybody smiling and nodding heads, that helps me to, to keep moving on with this. Now, first thing I'm going to ask you is, how does God tell time? <laughs> Did you know God tells time? His way. But He has a certain way of doing it. You see, we over here in the Western world, we're on what they call the Gregorian calendar. The Eastern world is on the Julian calendar. God doesn't follow either one of them. <laughs> he follows his calendar. And his calendar began in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says, Bereshith bara Elohim eight Hashemayim v'et Ha'aretz. Yeah, in our language it says, in a beginning, not the beginning, because there's no definite article. Because God's eternal. There is no beginning. So at a point in time, God created the heavens and the earth. And at that point of time, He started doing something. It says He created light. And whenever He created light... He said it was good. I don't hear him say anything good about darkness. But he says there was darkness upon the face of the deep. And it was a supernatural darkness. And so he created light. And it was good. And then if you look in verse 5 of Genesis chapter 1. It says the evening and the morning. Yom Ikad. Day 1. So the evening and the morning, day one. Did you know that's God's time? The first tick of the calendar forward is the evening at 6 p.m. It's not at midnight like what we do. So you can go throughout the rest of Genesis chapter 1. Verse 8, the evening and the morning, day 2. Verse 13, evening and morning, day 3. It goes throughout. So God's time starts evening at twilight. Now, well, I'm, I'm getting so far ahead of myself. So Jesus died. I got to give T the right things so she can follow me with the slides. <laughs> I, I get to go in from memory and not from my sheet and I miss my tracks. Okay, so Jesus died... On Passover day, 14 April. And you say, how was it 14 April? Because we're on God's time. If you'll look on the next slide, Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus 23 gives the seven feasts that God has ordained. Sabbath was ordained by God in Genesis 1. The seventh day he rested. He told the children of Israel in Exodus, This day now you will rest, and it will be called the Sabbath day to you, and you shall rest. But did you know that there are special or high Sabbath days? 
They are in line with the feast days. And on the feast days, you don't do any work either. It is called a special or a high Sabbath day. So, whenever you look, and it says that there are seven different special feast days. Verse 5 up there says that the Passover begins. Remember, he was crucified on the Passover. The Passover begins at twilight, God's time, the evening in the morning, on the 14th day of the first month. And you say, how is April the first month? Because they had a calendar somewhat like ours, but whenever they were going to be released from Egypt, God told Moses, this month is now the first month of the year to you. This is now your new beginning. I am taking you from bondage and slavery, and you are free. So this starts the new month and the new year for you. This shall be the first month. And on the 14th day of this month, the Passover will be celebrated. Verse 6 goes on to say, and this is very important in verse 6 and 7. The 15th day, the very next day after the Passover, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It begins that day and starts and runs for seven days that they will eat no leavened bread. It's a special or a high Sabbath that you do no work in because it is a feast day. The feast days are special Sabbaths. So we're going to go through the Gospels now and look with these facts in mind of how God tells time and that there are special Sabbaths. We're going to see the order in which Jesus was crucified and resurrected. Turn down your Bibles, if you would, to Mark 15. Mark 15. And this is going to be a tough section right here. Because at this point, Jesus has endured six mock trials all night. He was arrested. He was taken. He was covered with spit from all of the people in the trial. He was mocked as the king, and they placed a purple robe upon him. They platted a crown of thorns upon his head. They gave him a staff and said, there's your scepter, king. And then the soldiers took that robe and wrapped it around his head. And they grabbed the stick and they beat him with it. And then while that robe was around his face, the soldiers would punch him one at a time and say, so you're a prophet. Prophesy to us now. Tell me who hit you this time. And then they took him out and they flogged him with a cat of nine tails to where his back was like hamburger and you could see his entrails because it cut to the quick. And then they took a cross and they laid it upon him And with as much will and determination as he could, he tried to carry that cross to the place of the skull called Golgotha. And he fell underneath the weight of it. And they grabbed a man named Simon of Cyrene to carry that cross the rest of the way for him. And when they got him there, they laid my Savior down upon it. And they took spikes, not little nails, they took spikes. And they drove him through his hands and his feet. And they stuck him there. And then 
Pilate himself took a placard and he wrote on it what his sentence was and what he was guilty of. And it says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And he wrote it in three different languages so that everyone would know. And then the soldiers took the cross and lifted it up. And when it dropped in, the jarring racked his body with pain. And he hung there. And now if you're in Mark 15, we'll begin reading in verse 25. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charges against him read, The king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you are going to destroy the temple and build it back in three days? Come down from the cross and save yourself. And in the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, let this King of Israel come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. And at noon, darkness came over the land until three in the afternoon. Then Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those standing near heard this, and they said, Listen, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran. They filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. And now they said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah does come and take him down off of the cross. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died... He said, surely this was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. They had came from Galilee and followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Now for the burial. Preparation. Verse 42, it was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So, as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate. And he asked him for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to learn that Jesus was already dead. So he summoned for his centurions, the soldiers, and he asked if Jesus had already died. And then when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. And so Joseph bought some linen cloth and he took down the body and he wrapped the linen around him 
and he carried the body and placed it in the tomb that had been cut out of a rock. And then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. The timeline is clearly given to us on what happened. Jesus was nailed to the cross at 9 a.m. for my sins. During the next three hours, he received all kinds of insults. The ones on the cross with him, the rebels, the thieves, the passers-by, the teachers, all of the people shouting the stuff like we read. Oh, you can save others, but you can't save yourself. And he withstood that for three hours while he hung there in pain and agony. At 12 o'clock, an unnatural darkness, it says, came over the land for the next three hours. This is a supernatural darkness that you couldn't even see through it. You know why? Because that's when evil came around. Because during the next three hours, he was judged for my sins. And he was judged for your sins. And for three hours, he had to endure the pain of he that knew no sin became sin for me so that I might become the righteousness of God through Him. That's why there was darkness. Because sin was all around Him. Three o'clock. When He could stand the judgment and the separation from God no more, it says that He cried out, With that loud voice, why have you forsaken me? And then there was a few more details, like giving him the sponge. Another place, it says that he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. The judgment was over. Our sins has now been judged at that cross through that darkness. It is finished. And I bear him no more. And then it says he cried with a loud voice and he gave up the ghost. That was sometime between 3 and 3.30 because at 3 he cried out, Why have you forsaken me? And then these other things happened. So between 3.30 or so to 6, all of the next events have to take place. Because he has to be in the tomb before six because the new day starts. And what is it? The Feast of Unleavened Bread. No work can be done on that day, so we must move quickly. I must go to Pilate. I must tell him he's died and ask for his body. Pilate couldn't believe it, so he had to send the soldiers. Had to get word back. Yeah, he's already dead. So then he had to work quickly, take his linen cloths. We're going to find out in a moment that Nicodemus... Finally, the one who had came to him by night also arrives at the cross and they're going to wrap him with aloe and with cloths and then wrap him in the one-piece linen and they've got to carry his body to the garden where a new tomb that has been hewn out and no one has ever laid in before. All of this had to happen before 6 p.m. because of the special high Sabbath day. Another thing, 
it says that whenever they sent for this word, they broke the legs of the two thieves that was beside him so that they would die quickly and not be on the cross. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. I want to remind everybody, no bone of Jesus was ever broken. You know, sometimes we say during the Lord's Supper that this bread we, is the broken body of Jesus. It was the pierced body. It was the body that was broken through the skin by the spear that plunged into his heart and that to make sure he was dead and forthwith came blood and water. But when God instituted the lamb as the Passover in Exodus, he said, do not allow a bone of that lamb to be broken. Every family had to offer that up every Passover, and that was 1,400 plus years before Jesus. And millions and millions of lambs representing Christ had been sacrificed, but never was a bone broken. Jesus hung upon the cross and he died. The other two were not dead. They break the legs because you breathe by pressing with your legs to get air. And as you slump down, as your body starts to die, it will fill up with fluid. And to be able to get a breath, you have to be able to stretch. And when you break the legs, they can no longer stretch. And so they can no longer breathe. And you will end up in suffocation. And so that's why they break the legs of the other two, so that they could get them off the cross before the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the High Sabbath. But Jesus was not. So the bread that represents his body was pierced for us, but it wasn't broken. And then it says in John 19 and verse 36, it makes it perfectly clear. That's up there on the board for you. These things happened so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. The rebels, verses 32 and verse 33 They were. Jesus was pierced through the heart with a spear. John 19, 34 and 37 up there says, Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. And 37, as the scripture says, they will look upon the one they have pierced. This is the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10 where it was prophesied that they will look on me, the Messiah, the one that they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. So this was all done to fulfill Scripture on the way that Jesus would die. Blood and water poured forth suddenly. He's been dead for a few moments, and it has already begun separating. So it's at this time that Joseph asked for the body of Jesus And he wraps him in the linen cloth. And John's gospel says Nicodemus was there too. And he came out of his doubting. And he brought 75 pounds of aloe and myrrh. And as they prepared it and tossed it into the grave. They wrapped him with the strips of cloth. It says. The same thing that he wore whenever he was born. Lying in that manger. In the swaddling clothes. And it says that they placed him here because they had to work quickly. 
It was right about 6 p.m. by this time from the time that he had died at 3.30 till now with all this preparation that took place. Remember back in Leviticus 23, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's going to begin at twilight at 6 p.m. And it's a high Sabbath. And that's why they break the legs of the thieves because it says up there in verse 31, it was the preparation day. And the next day was to be a what? Special Sabbath. It's a special, it's not the regular one, it's the special one. It's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And they did that so that they could take them off the cross because the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies left up during the Sabbath. And they asked for their legs to be broken. The special Sabbath. Now, watch this. Here we go with our days. Mark 16.1, what does it say? When the Sabbath was over, this is that first Sabbath, because remember who was watching Joseph and Nicodemus place the body in the tomb? The ladies. Now it says that when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome went and bought spices so that they might go to anoint the body of Jesus. Now, that was on the special Sabbath that, that was Thursday when they just placed him in there. They couldn't go buy and sell on the next day because it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was a special Sabbath day. They had to wait till after that to go and purchase these things. And so, because if you'll remember, Jesus was taken in the garden that night by surprise. He knew it, but everyone else was surprised. They had no idea that the Roman guards and the temple guards were coming out in the Mount of Olives to grab him and to take him away. So they had no reason to prepare beforehand for this. So now, after that high Sabbath, they went out and they did this and bought the things. But now look at verse 20, or 55 and 56 of Luke 23, the other scripture that's up there. The women who had came with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But then they had to rest on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. So as you put both gospel events together, they saw him laid, but the next day was the special Sabbath, Thursday. They had to wait till that was over. Then they went and purchased these things. They went home and made their perfumes and did what they had to do to fix it all together. By the time they were able to do that, now is Saturday. Because Friday was the day that they were able to mix the things up. Now it's Saturday again. And doggone it, we got another Sabbath day that we got to rest and we can't anoint the body of Jesus. And we know that it wasn't the first Sabbath wasn't the Saturday Sabbath. It was a special Sabbath. Why? Because it says the next day they went to buy all of this stuff and prepare it. They couldn't have done that on Sunday because Mary Magdalene was where? Before daylight. She was at the tomb. And it was empty. So it couldn't have been that order. If you know the word of God with the special Sabbaths, and the way things grew, and you take more than just one account out of the Gospels, and you put all of them together, you begin to see how everything flows together. She had to follow it. So then Saturday became 
the second or regular Sabbath, fulfilling the day three. As Jesus had said, remember in Matthew 12 and verse 40. What did he say was going to be the sign that was given to you? That as the prophet Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so shall I be in the heart of the earth. So, Wednesday, April 14th, Passover day, he's crucified. He's taken from the cross, prepared at 6 p.m. He's laid in that tomb because 6 p.m. starts God's calendar for the next day. That's Thursday. Evening, morning of Thursday, day one. Evening, morning of Friday, day two. Evening, morning of Saturday, day three. Sometime then after the three days and three nights, Sometime after 6 p.m., which is now God's time of Sunday, the first day of the week, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He rose a victor from the dark domain. And he lives forever because death he overcame. So now... When you see things on God's timeline, it all makes perfect sense, doesn't it? As Rick and the folks, the worship team, heads on back up, we leave today with Jesus on the cross still and coming off the cross. Next week, we're going to go from the cross and its meanings. We're going to go to the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But you know, in... Mark 15 that we read a few moments ago at the crucifixion. There were a lot of horrible, terrible things that happened through there. They hurled insults at him. And one of the insults that they hurled at him was, He saved others, save yourself. You can't. And I've meditated on that this week. You know what, you know what would have happened if Jesus was like me, if Jesus had pride, if he had arrogance, if he said, I've got to prove who I am, and if he would have come down off of that cross, he could have saved himself. But guess what would have happened? He would not have been able to save us. He chose to stay on the cross to be separated from God, to be punished for sins that He never did, and to cry out, Eloi, Leloi, Lama Sabachthani, which is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said, why have you forsaken me? I know why. You know why? Because as the song says, because he loved me so. Let's bow. Father, thank you for your unconditional love.
Thank you for grace and thank you for Jesus, the Lamb of God. Father, may we be challenged by the truth of your word that we have heard today. And if there is anyone in here who has ever doubted that you could have died for them, Father, may those doubts disappear because we have just saw that he hung on that cross and endured all of that so that every sin could be atoned for and washed away. And if you have ever doubted, please know that he loved you so and died for that. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, I pray that you will do so now. Be washed in the waters of baptism for the remission of your sins, as Peter said in Acts 2.38. And be free, be released from carrying those. We sang a song right before we got up here that says, He bore my sins and I bear them no more. Why are you still carrying around your sins? Give them to Jesus Christ today. In his name we pray. Amen. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. say